Lord, we are we're more honored than we even know <clears throat> to be able to sit with a group of men, read out of the Bible, try to make sense of it, try to make application of it to our lives, and then have the freedom to live it out practically, verbally, um, because we know in India, there's a very small group of people and they don't have this freedom to meet together and certainly don't have the freedom to express their faith in the same way we do. So to whom much is given, much is required. We ask that you would strengthen us with your word, with the presence of each other, that we would sharpen one another this morning so that we might be carved into more and more of your likeness in what we say, what we do, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our emotions, that all of these things would be closer to reflecting a true relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Most of you are familiar with this picture kind of an iconic picture from World War II of the guys raising the flag uh, on the top of a mountain in an island in the Pacific called Iwo Jima. And so all of you have seen it many times. There's a little uh, two-minute blurb on just sort of how the photographer talks about how he got this photo. And I want to look at it and make some comments, and then we'll talk about God's Word today. I was coming up toward the brow of the hill, and I was possibly uh, 200 feet away. I stopped because I'm urging, and as I came closer, I could see this small flag waving on a very long pole. And it gave me a jolt then, and I get it now. That was our flag, American flag. I think of, you know, what went on D-Day, subsequent days, in order to get that flag there. And I went up, not knowing what kind of a picture I would get. I saw, kneeled on the ground, uh, there were, I believe, three uh, Marines, and I said, what's doing, fellas? And they said to me uh, something like, uh, we're preparing to raise this uh, bigger flag. The colonel down below wants a bigger flag so it can be seen by the troops all over the island, the rest of the troops, for morale's sake or for, and he said also, he wants to make damn sure he got that first flag back. And I could tell they had just lifted the pole off the ground, and it was on its way up. I swung my graphic around close up to my face and held it, watching through the finder, see when I could estimate what's the peak of the picture. 
And, and I could only hope that it turned out the way that I looked at it through the final. So it's an, it's an interesting story, but when I think about that little clip, uh, the line that stuck out to me is he says, I think about what went on on D-Day and subsequent days in order to get that flag there. And then of course he had the, the bodies laying on the side of a hill. If you're gonna wage war and you're gonna win the war that you're involved in, it's gonna take a lot of sacrifice. That's the nature of war. To, to get to the top of the hill, to make a pronouncement to win, <clears throat> it's going to take a lot of courage, it's going to take a lot of bravery, but it's going to take a lot of sacrifice on everyone's part. And there's a very interesting book, you probably know about it, Flag of Our Fathers, a very popular book about the men who were in that, fo- that photo. So he details the life of the men, how they got in the Marines, what happened to them afterwards. Very interesting the guy who wrote the book is James Bradley, and he's the son of one of the men. And so he writes this in the book. When you join the Marines, there's a subtle destruction of your civilian mentality. When you join the Marines, there's a subtle destruction of your civilian mentality. And I mean this in a good way. A Marine can't think like a civilian. He has to think differently in order to be a good fighter. See, if you're going to wage war, you you just have to think differently. You can't think as a civilian. You have to have some mental transformation because you're coming from sort of one way of operating, and now you're changing, and you're going to be asked to move into a different arena. And when you're moving into this different arena, you have to... Have a different, you have to have a better physical structure, but you also have, a, have to have transformation. So to become a Marine, a, a transformation ta- has to take place. We all understand that. And then he talks about another place in the book. He talks about the rifle of a Marine. And he says this, the rifle was an object of obsession. So a Marine is not just transformed mentally, he has a rifle. And it's an object of obsession, he says. And so he talks about how his dad would talk about it. The rifle's cleaned several times a day. It's taken apart and reassembled. You have to, you have to be blindfolded, take it apart and reassemble. You, you have to become ma- a master at shooting, sitting, laying down on your side, all these different ways. And then sometimes you're required to sleep with the rifle. So in order to wage war and win, you have to have a transformation. You have to have a mental transformation. And then you have to have a a weapon of war. You have to have something that you can operate in the dark with. You can operate from any position with. You, You sleep with it. It never moves away from your being because that's how you survive. That's how you advance. And so I want to talk about this this idea of discipline in Bible reading. Because I think that it's pretty clear in the Bible, if you're a Christian, you have to undergo a transformation. 
And that transformation is you, you get new information. You, you can't think the same way. You can't have a civilian mentality. You're in a wartime mentality. So there has to be a transformation. And the Bible is like the rifle. You got to sleep with it. You got to know how to shoot it in the dark. You, know, you got to know how to assemble and disassemble. You have to be able to operate it from every position because you're going to get into those positions. Romans 12, 2 may be familiar with this verse. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. You hear that? Don't be conformed. You're, you came out of a certain pattern, a certain thinking, habits, and now you're, you're, you're in a different pattern. But be transformed. The, the Greek word is metamorph. So you think of metamorphosis, you know, the caterpillar that turns into a butterfly. You're going to you got to be transformed, and you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. <clears throat> Sometimes that's translated renovation of your mind. So think about your, your mental capacity as a house. When you meet Jesus, you got a lot of furniture that needs to be thrown away, right? You got a lot of junk. You got a, a garage full of crap in your mind. And Jesus comes in, thankfully, with the word of God and say, hey, Paul, we need to do some pretty serious renovations, buddy. And we're not going to keep much of this stuff, you know? It's not going to be repurposed. We're going to throw it out and we're going to renew our mind. That's how it begins. The Psalmist 119 says, your word is more valuable than gold. Your word is more valuable than gold. So we just want to ask ourselves, is that true for us? If you're a Christian, you're, you're being asked to, you're being commanded to tra transform. It's not magic. It's not a prayer. It's discipline. And it takes effort. You're going to be in a war. You're in, a, you're in a war, whether you realize it or not, you're, you're in a war. The, the rifle is the Bible. And in order to, to, to know it, you've got to sleep with it. You've got to disassemble it. You've got to know how to operate it. George Mueller ran a, an orphanage in England, <clears throat> became pretty famous uh, because he never asked for money. But over the course of his, of his lifetime, 40 years of running these orphanages, uh, really, it became around the world. He serviced over 100,000 orphans without ever asking for money. Just prayed and God supplied. Here's what he said. For the first four years of my conversion, this was, he was converted at age 20. I made no progress because I ne neglected the Bible. He really was converted, but he just left the rifle, you know, in the closet, in the, in the gun safe. In other words, he, he became converted, but he still had a civilian mentality. He still operated sort of like a civilian. And because of that, he made no progress. <clears throat> it's possible that you might be here and go, you know what? I don't really make any real progress. If I look back at my Christian life over the last year or four, I haven't really made any progress. I'm not a, I'm not a, a non-Christian but I haven't really made any progress because I don't really, I haven't really digested God's word. 
But when I regularly read on through the whole Bible with reference to my own heart and soul, I directly made progress. Then my peace and joy continued more and more. See, that, that transformation is take, taking place. Now I have been doing this for 47 years. Imagine this, you're reading through the Bible 47 years, you've done it a hundred times. Here's a man who knows his rifle. He sleeps with it. He can take it apart in the dark. He can put it back together. He can shoot if he's sitting down and he's laying down. It doesn't happen in one year. It doesn't happen in one, one time through. It happens over time. So we're talking about building an interior character, building an interior wall. And if you don't have this one piece, you, you're, you're going to have massive holes in your walls. And so we just want to ask ourselves, we want to be challenged this morning to think about, am I making any changes? Do I know the rifle of the Bible? Can I use it in all these different situations that I find myself in? And here's where I don't like a, a, the two-minute devotion. Two-minute devotion to me sounds like I, my time's most important about what I'm going to get done today. And God, I need to fit you in. But we just live in a two-minute society. I mean, that's the problem for all, it's a challenge for all of us. I don't have time because my, I'm at the center of my world. What I'm going to get done is most important. How I think and my writing and my projects, they're the key things. And you see what happens? You can live four years or you can live 47 years and you can be a Christian. But when you bring all that to heaven and the, the fires of heaven test what you've put out, wood, hay, and straw. Instead of, I'm, I'm orient, orienting myself because I live in a war zone. And if you don't think you don't live in a war zone, then I don't know. You, you're not living in the same city I live in. Because it's, the, 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 it's increasing. <coughs> And you and I, and I think about Sam, or I think about uh, Nathan, or I think about Jack, these guys who are 15, 18, 20, their next 40 years going to be harder than my, my 40 years. They're going to have to learn how to put it together in the dark. They're going to have to learn to shoot from all kinds of positions. There's going to be increased hostility. But if we don't have this component, if we're not really changing our habits, we're going to be the civilians that just get wiped out. In Matthew 4 and other places in the Bible, you read about Jesus' temptation. Remember, he gets baptized and he goes off into the wilderness. Satan comes and tempts him different ways. It's very interesting to see how Jesus responds to each of these temptations. I mean, if I were Jesus, I'd want to do something powerful, you know. I'd want to do like you know, Iron Man, you know, you hold out your hand, you blow Satan away. I mean, I, I, that's the whole way I would think he would operate. But he actually does something very powerful. And the most encouraging thing is it's something you and I can do. 
How does he fight against all those temptations? You remember? He quotes the Bible. And every time he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. So a lot of scholars say, you know, Deuteronomy was Jesus's favorite book. You know, when the, when the, when the, his metal is getting tested, he, he knows what God has to say. So I just want to look at a couple of different passages here from Deuteronomy. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 5. And we'll just make some observations, then we'll have a chance to talk about it. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning with verse 5, uh, says this. See, I have taught you statutes and rules. This is Moses speaking to the people. As the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession. See, the people are on the edge of the Jordan. They're just about ready to cross the promised land. And he's saying, look, you've been taught all this stuff and you're going to go into this new land and you're going to enter in, but you need to keep them, verse 6, and you need to do them. For they're going to be your wisdom and understanding because you're going to go in and you're going to meet these Canaanites and the Canaanites are, are people who are hostile to God. They're, their culture is corrupt. But if you go in and you act differently, guess what they're going to say? Surely this great nation is wise and understanding. See, they don't act like civilians. They act differently. For what great nation is there that has a, has a God so near as the Lord? whenever we call upon him. And what great nation is there that his statutes and rules are so right? Verse 9, only take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest you depart from what your heart has seen all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. So just a couple of observations first. First, you have to be taught. Moses taught the people. <clears throat> the motto, the mission, the vision, however you would want to say it of Christ Community Church, first two words, teaching the Bible. That's, that's what we're about here. If you're, not, if you're not familiar with Christ Community, you don't go here. That's, when you come on Sunday, guess what we do? We open up a Bible and we learn from the Bible. We teach the Bible. Somebody has to teach it to you. <clears throat> We'll talk about this at the end. Men, you're now responsible for teaching it to your family. You're the primary communicator of that to your family. So somebody has to teach it to you. And the second thing is once you learn it, you got to keep it. You got to do it. <clears throat> See, I've taught you stuff. Now keep it and do it, he says. Pretty simple. Isn't that simple? No, it's actually not simple, is it? <laughs> I mean, it's like simple to articulate. I'm going to give you some very easy instructions and then just keep it. Just do it. Is that complicated? It's not complicated, but it turns out it's pretty hard. Adam and Eve, I mean, they only had one command. Pretty simple, but they just, they just couldn't do it. Saul, we're talking about 1 Samuel in our sermon series here. Saul, he's the king and he gets anointed the king and then, and Samuel says, just listen to the Lord and do what he says. So if, if you go to battle, wait on me for this. If you go to battle, do that. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear, but he can't seem to do it. 
chapter 15 that we're going to look at this Sunday. You've rejected the word of the Lord, so the Lord has rejected you. What a terrible thing to hear. And then remember, Paul, he's dying. His last letter is 2 Timothy. He's writing to the person who's going to replace him. For a time will come, Timothy, when men will not put up with sound doctrine. These are not men in the culture. These are men in the church. The people in the church, they're really not going to want to listen to the word of the Lord. And here's what's going to happen. They have their own desires. And so they're going to hire people who will tell them what they want to hear. Can you imagine that happening? Uh, yeah, actually, you can't imagine that happening. I mean, I like parts of the Bible, but there are parts of the Bible that I don't like because it impinges on me in some way. So what we need to do is find some people who will preach all the things I like to hear and stay away from all the things I don't want to hear. They're going to turn their ears away from the truth. They're going to turn aside to myths that you've got to keep your head in all these situations. Timothy, there's got to be somebody who continues to know God's word and keep God's word. And then you see the result. You're going to be a great nation. But what is, what is that greatness? That people would see you and know God. That's the greatness. See, that's not the same greatness. Like if you and I say, we're going to be a great nation, it usually has to do with power or wealth, intelligence, strength. But that's not what God's saying. God's saying a great nation, a great church, a great person, the reason they're truly great that's going to matter for eternity is that they know God and they keep what he says. That's the definition of grace, greatness according to the Bible. It doesn't have anything to do with wealth or power. And probably if we give a testimony, if everybody kind of went around the room, somewhere back in your life, you could go back to somebody came into your life who knew God's word and, and kept it. And that somehow was attractive to you. Could have been a parent, could have been a youth leader, could have been a young life person, could have been a coach, uh, could have been your aunt or uncle. I mean, somewhere probably you'd go back and say, you know, I kind of knew about Jesus. I went to church or something, but I needed somebody who really knew it and they actually kept it. I mean, not perfectly, but I could get into their wake. And when I was a sophomore in high school in Winston-Salem, two guys wandered in from Wake Forest University, both young life leaders. And that was the first time I thought, okay, these people know Jesus and they basically do what, what he says. And I was so attracted by that that I just wanted to get in behind their wake. So where are the leaders? You, you all are the leaders. You might not think of yourself as a leader, but you're in this room, you're a leader. And whether it's your family, whether it's the person next to you in the office, whether it's the people in the pews, whether it's the people on your soccer team, wherever it is, they're watching. And many of them are waiting just for somebody who says, I know what God's word says. It's like a rifle. I can shoot it from every angle. And I'm going to do what it says. And there'll be people like Paul Phillips at 16 who will say, I want to get in 
with that. But it's going to take us, us making a commitment to it. Then I like this warning, or I don't like it. I think it's interesting. Verse 9. Look at that again with me. Take care. Keep your soul from diligence, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and you depart from them. You're supposed to be on guard for against what? Be on guard. Take care against you. Notice that? You are going to forget. You are going to depart. Your heart is. It's not the culture. He's saying your biggest enemy to doing this is you. It's not somebody else. We'll just have a minute to talk about that. How are you your biggest enemy? Might, might want to ask, do you think you're your biggest enemy? Because a lot of people just say, my biggest enemy is my phone, or my biggest enemy is pornography, or my biggest enemy is my wife, or my biggest enemy is my boss. Or, You know who your biggest enemy every day is? It's the person you see when you wake up and stare in the mirror. That's your biggest enemy. So how, how do you undermine yourself? Are you aware of the way you, you're an enemy to yourself? Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 12, you can look at it. We won't have time to read it. But basically Moses tells the people, hey, you got to memorize this and you got to talk about it as you go along the way. Remember this? You got to Put it on the foreheads of your, uh, your head. You got to put it on your doorpost. You got you to have it around all the time or else you're going to forget. Meaning there, there's not a special trick to having this. Like you wouldn't want to say to me, I don't have a good memory. <laughs> it's a lot better than you think. But see, you're self-deceptive. Kind of give yourself an out. And I'm wondering if you're Camp Lejeune and the drill sergeant's helping you with the rifle and you just go, I just don't have a good memory. I can't seem to get this thing, you know, apart and back together, Sarge. He'd say, son, you're in a war. And we don't have time in a war to pull out the instruction manual and say, okay, number one, I mean, I'm going to be blown up in that process. So you just don't want to say, I just don't have a good memory. No, you want to say, maybe I don't have a good memory, but I put it on my forehead, I put it around my wrist, I talk about it day and night, I put it over the door, I, I do whatever I can to get my rifle so that when I get under attack, I've got something to fight back with rather than I just get mown over. And that's going to have to be God's word. Deuteronomy 30, Moses says it's a matter of life and death. I went to India, and uh, I'll show you this little clip of them. The, these are the group of pastors that I minister to. I'll tell you something about them, and then we'll have a time to sit and talk. Hello, everyone. I'm right here in India. We are here for our annual pastors and leaders retreat, and uh, we had a wonderful time here. Pastor 
um, Paul Phillips um, was here with us and he helped minister to our people. We thank you all of you at CCC for what you have done for us as a ministry right in this place, for sending your pastor during this time to be with us and to minister to our people. We've been blessed by the ministry. Thank you, Spence, and entire team in that place that always keeps us lifted and praying for us, and we thank God for all of you. Did you guys enjoy the ministry of Pastor yeah. Paul? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you for sending Pastor Paul. May God bless you, and thank you. So these, these men and women, they're like Navy SEALs. I mean, if, I, if I'm in the foxhole, I want one of these people with me because they go into these places that are very hard. They've all been persecuted in some way, emotionally, financially, physically, or all of those ways. And there was this one guy, this guy, and he lives on the Pakistani border. So in his area, there are Hindus, radical Hindus, radical Sikhs, radical Muslims. That's the, the group that he ministers to. He used to be a Sikh. And he was telling me about how hard this area is, and the, the, the interpreter said, Pastor Paul, I want you to understand, this is the hardest area in India. He's not just saying it's hard. This, everyone knows this is the hardest area. And this guy looks at me and says, Pastor Paul, our hope is the word of God. See, this guy, he's a Marine. He's going to have to shoot in the dark. He's not going to have time to, I don't know, I don't have a great memory. I got to play Fortnite. Yeah, that's not going to be this guy. And just to be around somebody like this, man, that, what an inspiration. You know, you're just like, dang, got to get moving. You know, you get into that group and you want to be like this. This is kind of a picture here of an odd thing. Side of a mountain, somebody thought they saw a monkey god. So they go up there and carve it out. You can see these men standing here. So it's like 30 feet tall. It's in the side of a mountain. They've got a big temple wrapped around this thing. Thousands of people come and worship this rock. And I don't actually know what this means, but look at the monkey god. You see his foot? He's crushing the people of India. False gods crush people. And this one man, he's going into these places and he hands out the word of God and then he lives by it. And slowly people begin to take notice. It's not just his job, it's your job. It's my job. So the word of God. How does it operate in your life? Where have you seen it in operation? What do you need to be challenged to do better? We've got about 10 or 12 minutes here. You're going to get a group of uh, three or four, and uh, here are the questions that we want to talk about. Ready? Break.